This week, we are joined by Jamie Johnson, Glenn Finnick National Brand Ambassador for Canada. We have a great conversation with Jamie about her love for bourbon and whiskey. We discuss how her love of whiskey led to a career in the industry, the transition from attending whiskey shows and tastings in person to moving everything online, as well as how to set up a whiskey tasting yourself. Another great conversation. Thanks again, Jamie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. As always, I am your host, Kip. Dan, the man who does all the work, is with me. Hey, man, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, man. I got nothing going on. That's good. That's good. Same with me. Uh, another day, another hangover. So <laughs> starting the week off right like a professional. I know. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I haven't even left here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, nevertheless, we, yep. we uh, soldier on. That's uh, the first world problems right here. That's too, true. Too hungover for our, uh, for our niche podcast. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Just enjoying the last couple of nice hot days of summer. So uh, making yeah. the most of it. Yeah, exactly. Then we're all back to um, school and Labor Day. Yeah, and, and I'm sure it'll be snowing in about four weeks. So <laughs> 40, 40, 40 Celsius above to 40 below in no time. Yeah, and I'll be bitching about that. Yeah, first world problems. Yeah. Okay, well, enough of that shit. We have a great guest, as always, for you. We have Jamie Johnson. She's going to be joining us in just a minute. We should let you know previous to that that the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review. I'll just keep saying it till you guys start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, post a review. It just takes a couple minutes, and it really helps us out. In addition, we should say if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you should email us at info at theindustrypodcast.club, uh, or you can DM us at The Industry Podcast on Instagram as well. Correct. Uh, and there's always there'll be links to that in the show notes as well as to anything else we talk about during the show. Yes, and Zach Hanna Design, at Zach Hanna Design, always for your design needs he does all the great artwork for our instagram page and he's awesome and he did a lot of work for me at my new bar that is actually finally about to fucking open and what is the name of said bar babylon sisters wine bar will be open on september 16th so for for all those in the public so please come out and support it it's 23 king street north in uptown waterloo if you live in the region or close by you should come check it out mm -hmm. Because see me getting drunk at the bar on a regular basis. Aren't you supposed to be working there? Yes, then I'll still be getting drunk. <laughs> at, I'll still be getting drunk at the bar when oh. I work. I oh. mean, uh, uh, terrific. <laughs> uh, Model employee. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough about us. Let's talk to our guest. Jamie Johnson's with us. How are you, Jamie? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, we're doing okay. Good. Uh, COVID good, as we like to say yep. on the show. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that's yeah. the best we can do. So, uh, Jamie, uh, we've had some uh, people in your field on recently, but we, um, you are now currently the Glenn Fittick ambassador for, like, what is your territory? Canada. Canada. It's pretty big. Well, it's yeah. A, yeah, it's <laughs> I've heard of it, and I hear it's, there's a lot of yeah. landmass. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It's a very wide country. It's, mm -hmm. yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I am the Canadian national brand ambassador for Glenfiddich, and I just moved over pretty recently from the Balvenie, was where I sort of got the brand that I got into William Grant and Sons with. So, yeah. I am very excited to talk about the Balvenie because it is definitely one of my favorite spirits on earth. We, I, I've been a big supporter of it for a long time, and now at the rum bar, we always like to serve the rum cask finished the, the Caribbean cast finish, I guess it's called. Actually, yep. I should get I should get it right since you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, um, it's my job to correct you. Yeah, so exactly. Don't worry about it. So don't worry about it. I got Perfect. you. I got you exactly. Perfect, because I basically do zero <laughs> research for these. So. <laughs> um, no, I got you. Okay, so yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about our shared love for the Balvenie, and then we'll talk about your current mm -hmm. job, because uh, I also did Glenfiddich. Yeah, it's so I mean, it's so funny because I got into being a brand ambassador because I probably didn't have like the chops to, you know, to cut it as a freelance whiskey nerd. Like I I've always loved whiskey. I, you know, started a, a whiskey club in, you know, my little downtown apartment um, in like 2013 or 2014. 
Um, and then I was just kind of doing, you know, whiskey tastings as a bit of a side sort of gig and just something I really enjoyed doing. I really got into bourbons first and, you know, through a trip to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And then I was sort of just doing freelance gigs like, you know, bachelor, bachelorette parties, birthday parties and corporate tastings and running the whiskey club. And it's a hustle to to do the freelance thing. And so I, I just don't think me and my anxiety are like cut out for freelancing because I was always kind of looking for a brand to really like hang my hat on to like get like get into the nitty gritty and like dig into um the the whole world so i had been working with beth havers and william grant and sons uh sort of ad hoc if they needed someone to like stand behind a bar and you know pour samples and you know talk whiskey and she told me that the uh Belveni was looking for someone uh full-time so i threw my hat in the ring and the stars aligned and everything worked out. And I had been working for, uh, with Belveni for like four years and what an exceptional, like if you, I mean, it is one of those whiskeys, like if you know, you know, kind of thing, like it's sort of this yeah. bit of a sleeper kind of, uh, not everyone's super familiar with it. Um, but it's such a beautiful story, such a beautiful whiskey, like consistently lovely. And it was actually, you know, the, the whiskey that brought me from bourbons into the single malt territory, that Caribbean cask, like that was right in my palate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I get, I get single malts now. Like I get the, the complexity. I get they're a little bit softer than I've been, you know, you know, pummeling my taste buds with, you know, big bookers and rare breed and yeah. just getting into like big, like um, sort of barrel proof bourbons. And I sort of transitioned through that Belveni Caribbean cask. So I was so happy to talk about it for you know, four years. I still will talk about it. People are still there. People are like, oh, now that you work for like Glenfiddich, which it's literally next door. Like they're owned by the same company, like Glenfiddich and Belveni. Literally, it's a two minute walk from one distillery to another. They are sister distilleries. I feel like that walk would take me about two hours. <laughs> I'm sure it has. Yeah, for some people. It, yeah. And so they're like, oh, are you still going to tell people that like Belveni Caribbean cask is your favorite? And I was like, yes. Because it is. It was never yeah. like a line. Like that was actually right. my favorite like whiskey. So I I have a deep love for the Belveni and everyone that I worked with on the team. And I've been able to go and work at the distillery, which is something they do to brand ambassadors to punish them. They're like, oh, you have like a cushy job. Well, we're gonna put you through the ringer first. So like you go and like shovel barley for a couple of days and they really get you sort of into, you know, the distillery vibe. And I mean, I felt so sorry for, you know, the wonderful people that work there that they had to suffer through like me, like crying and shoveling. Like I've lived in downtown Toronto. I've never done physical labor in my life. And they've got me like working these machines. I have no business working. Um, and they're probably like these brand ambassadors just garbage. Uh, I won't be invited to work <laughs> at the distillery, but like, but going there and actually seeing everything happen, it's kind of, it's always that, you know, I think for a lot of whiskey lovers, being at a distillery is kind of the game changer. Just being mm -hmm. tactile, like in it, feeling it, smelling it, just being in, it, and that's kind of like the romance of it. And the Belveni has that in spades. It's an absolutely beautiful spot to be and great stories and great people. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a cool experience. And I can imagine, like, uh, like, going through, like, seeing exactly, like, being forced to, like, execute the same process that where they make, how they make dist and distill the uh, spirit, that, like, teaches you way more uh, yeah. a valuable lesson than anything else is going to. It is. And you really do um, ha get an appreciation for, you know, you can you go through the LCBO and you get this, like, beautiful bottle and you kind of don't, and you, and you hear the stories sometimes, maybe, maybe not, but, like, being able to go to the distillery and the Belvini is very much like a, a, a working distillery. Like you got to wear your high vis, you know, jacket when you're there, you got to make sure you don't get in anyone's way. Like it's very much like still grow their own barley malted on site. There's a cooperage on site. So all of it is kind of um, just very like down home and you get to know people, they wave at you, you have tea with them. And so it becomes a very like, kind of community experience, which I think is what a lot of whiskey like people love about 
whiskey is it brings us together um and and it you know on all different levels um and it's just been like such a great like everyone says that they have like the dream job well not everyone says that because that's not true at all but <laughs> like there's a lot of people that are like this is like there's the yeah. dream job and like i feel like i kind of actually found the dream job like i right. I, I think i cracked that one like yeah. not that my parents know what i do or anything like they're like so what do you do all day <laughs> but like it is the kind of the best job in the world yeah i'm an ambassador you know what they do like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you just drink all day yeah. like no not really <laughs> <laughs> well let's back it up a little bit then because that's interesting because you're mentioning like you kind of found your dream job and you found it through becoming an ambassador but i wanted to talk a little bit about like you mentioned earlier about being like a freelance whiskey nerd or whatever like is that a job that people can pull off i you know what i'm not sure i'm not you know i can't do it because my hustle is not strong my like hustle game is a bit weak i i i am almost too anxious to like to say no to anything and i think that part of building a really great freelance career is like targeting the jobs and, ha and and saying yes to the right jobs at the mm -hmm. right time. And I was always too anxious to say no to anything. And I could just burn myself like straight into the ground doing that. Um, so I think if you're good at like managing yourself in that way, then you probably can. But it was kind of during that 2013, 2014, it felt like for a while people had sort of transitioned from like doing wine clubs and wine tastings into whiskey and really getting into like we're like it's kind of post mad men so people were drinking really boozy uh, cocktails at the time and and i think a lot more people were sort of investigating whiskeys and so i just went to kentucky and i went to this wonderful inn in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, it's called the Beaumont Inn. And the innkeeper there will do like a, a wicked bourbon tasting with you for like, I can't even remember how much it was, but whatever it was, it was a hundred percent worth it. I said to my husband, like, well, I want to do this. Like, and he's like, you want to do what? And I was like, I want to like taste whiskey for like a living. And he's like, okay, <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. don't we all? Like, um, so I just came home and I started, I just invited my friends over for like a little tasting in my living room and I made them bring the whiskey, which I think is like very cheeky of me. Uh, and then <laughs> I just talked at them and we, it just, and from there people kind of enjoyed it and it kind of snowballed. And I live, you know, downtown Toronto and like, 850 square feet. So I started working with bartenders around town and other brand ambassadors to sort of get this club sort of going on a semi-regular basis. And from there, I sort of made friends with the ambassadors and then they would be like, hey, are you around? Like there's, you know, Spirit of Toronto is this weekend and we need someone to pour samples behind the bar and we need someone that knows whiskey. So it was, it was a couple different things that I sort of had a hand in. So it wasn't just straight, you know, working with brands. It was also sort of going out and people in the whiskey club would be like, oh, my buddy is doing a bachelor party. Can you come and do a tasting for that? Or, you know, I'm doing an event in my backyard and we'd like to have a whiskey tent. So it was almost like you kind of just had to go with the flow and make it whatever people needed it to be mm -hmm. at that time. So, I mean, I'm sure if someone was sort of motivated to make like, you know, basically a, 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 a business model based around like, yes, I'll do whatever anyone needs around whiskey and we can like we can I can host you and here's the rate for this and it includes these bottles or whatever. But I was more just like, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, I'll do. Oh, you want me to come to your basement? Sure. I'll go. <laughs> like, I, like <laughs> looking back on it, I was like, oh, yeah, man, like, what the like, fuck were you doing? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, I mean, to come to your basement. No Can you just times. get down there and yeah. it's just all plastic wrapped in plastic? <laughs> like Dexter, no. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of whatever, like it just like, let's go and let's just see what can happen. Uh, and then from there, I kind of got the inside scoop on what was going on and maybe who was hiring. And then it went from there. So, nice. um, but I loved it. I mean, I, I enjoyed working with all different kinds of brands, but I really love getting into like the nitty gritty of the brands, like hanging my hat on this, you know, wall and just being like, okay, 
let's figure it all out. Like, this is mm. awesome. I want to know everything about this distillery. So yeah. And at least yeah. like, like, it's like distilleries now have so many expressions, right? Like they're not, it's not like, you know, even, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago where like Glenlivet had Glenlivet 12 for the most part. Now they have like 50 versions of their spirit, right? So, or 50 different distillations. I want to talk a little bourbon the, <laughs> because yeah. uh, I also, I, I sort of went the other way. I got into scotch first and then got into bourbon later, mostly as I got broker. <laughs> was a, it was a necessity. Yeah, <laughs> I, I opened my first bar and I had no money all of a sudden, and then I was like, I was like, my taste for high-end scotch went very quickly to my taste for high-end bourbon. <laughs> so, talk to me about some of your favorite distilleries in Kentucky or or anywhere actually in the U.S. But yeah, so when I went, we stayed in, like I said, we stayed at the Beaumont Inn in Harrodsburg, and that's between Wild Turkey and Four Roses. So, and the, the thing about like the difference between sort of Scotland and Kentucky is in Kentucky, you have to drive a lot more. The distances between the distilleries are a lot more. So it's not just like you hop down the road and you're at Mortlock, you know, here, and then three minutes later, you're at uh, Glen Fittick, and then right. two minutes later, you're at the Belveni. Which um, is great so, when you're just pounding whiskey the whole time. That's well, what you exactly. So I would highly recommend finding a driver on that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> you drive in the backwoods, um, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, and there, and it's, it's, it's just such a like cool experience to be there and be in it. And I remember going to um, Wild Turkey was one of the very first um, bourbons that I really fell in love with. And I think they've had such a wonderful, consistent product for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, they've recently sort of started experimenting a little bit more. And like you said, like it used to be that like, here is your bourbon expression from this particular distillery. Right. And now there's, you know, like oaked versions and they've sort of opened the categories up a little bit more. And so, but I was always like a classic, like wild turkey fan for just like a regular day to day. But I mean, you can't go wrong with anything like Buffalo Trace um, yeah. The tailors were always really big for me getting into like, there was, I remember again in Kentucky meeting someone in like a parking lot who I bought a bottle of um, E.H. Taylor barrel proof from. And just, I mean, some of the stuff that comes out of there is exceptional. Uh, Four Roses has always been such a beautiful, like their single barrels totally are almost great. like second to none. And their small batch is just such a great classic. But even the um, classic yellow label is like, uh, yes. that's like the best table bourbon in the world. Like Absolutely. For the price point on that, like how good that whiskey is for how much yep. it costs. Like, yep. I can't recommend it enough. Agreed. Agreed. So those are sort of like, and I mean, we like we went to Woodford and oh my, like talk about picturesque and they always knock it out of the park too. Like that, that is a beautiful, there's deer, like you're just driving and you're like, somebody must have hired these deer, like too pretty. <laughs> like this is like, it was just, it's so beautiful. So yeah, I think those are sort of, and then you've got the special ones like that you sort of like dip into every once in a while, like going to Willet a couple times and grabbing oh, some well, of their family good, yeah. yeah there are some that are you know and coming through the lcbo my husband for some reason has this like exceptional luck with them i've never once won any of the lotteries for bourbon and I he won has won once yeah yeah <laughs> it's hard <laughs> you'll remember it forever and yeah. like my husband won it like twice so there's like um there's like uh we have a bottle of the william larue weller that's mm. just like very slowly we're making our way through it but one of my most favorite ever and i cannot find it anywhere and i haven't seen it in years is almer t lee and that's out of the buffalo trace distillery yep. it used to be available easy you can find it on any shelf and now i don't even think it makes it out of kentucky it's so highly in demand so mm -hmm. yeah that elmer is is a pretty special one i have one open bottle uh, unopened bottle uh, that's sitting downstairs and i'm i'm I don't know when it's going to get over. Well, just well, probably when you invite us over. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, I, we, this is a big week here in uh, Ontario for us because we can finally get uh, Angel's Envy in at the L through the LCBO, which yep. I used to have to like make runs into Detroit to get all the time, yep. and that one is huge for me. I just think it's unbelievable. Like, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, so and, is, is that available as of this week in the LCBO? Yeah. If I haven't bought all the ones in Kitchener already, then uh. it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can get it in Ontario now, and that one I can't recommend highly enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, what's the most overrated one? 
So it's funny that you asked me that because I love a gimmick. Like I'm here for it. Like mm-hmm. I am, I, if you want to put your, your bourbon out on a boat and call it like the ocean, I'll drink it and I'll buy it. <laughs> I like that one though. I do. I do too. I do. And I, but I, and I, I know it like, but it's, it's, it's a gimmick, but like it, it actually, like I'll go for it. So yeah. like, I don't it know. It does I have a little salty flavor to it. It does. Like, yeah, You're hundred yeah. percent right. Yeah. And, and, and I love it. And I will pay the premium just because you call it ocean and you give yeah. me the straw. Like I'll do it. <laughs> and like, I'm such a sucker for a gimmick that like, I mean, everyone talks about like, they want to say the pappies are overrated. I had a bottle of Pappy 15 and it was probably one of the most beautiful, like we're lucky in Ontario. If you do manage to get a hand on a Pappy Van Winkle, you don't pay like a crazy secondary market price for it here. Like we actually get it for a relatively, mm-hmm. like we, we, we're not paying in the early, like we're not paying like $2,500 for a 15 year old We're we're yeah. it's actually much better. And it's honestly one of the most beautiful, easy drinking whiskeys I've ever had. So quick, quick I mean, plug on that one. We actually will be serving a bottle of the Pappy 15 at Babylon sisters opening soon in the yes, region. Babylon and, sisters yeah. for your Pappy 15 <laughs> needs. Good yes. for you. I'm going to crush that bottle during the training yeah. session. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I agree with you. I was like, I think it's like, I've tried the 23, not that long ago, like the most recent version. And, um, I like the 15 better. The 15, I think, is just a sweet spot. Like we, you know, for whiskey people, like bourbons always are so nice when they're in that kind of 12 to 15 year. Um, it's hot. It gets hot in Kentucky. So mm. if you get an older bourbon, you really do run the risk of over-oaking it. You get it's too tannic. Mm. It's too dry. And so like there is that really lovely sweet spot that's, you know, I, I would say like 10 to 15 years is really quite a mature bourbon, you know, whereas in Scotland, you're, you know, your mature whiskeys are going to be a little bit, you know, later in, in the age statements just because you're not getting that sort of interaction with the cask. So yeah, I mean, a four-year bourbon is perfectly perfect. Like there's, you know, like it's that 10-year Rip Van Winkle, old Rip Van Winkle. So it's not a pappy, but it is a weeded bourbon and it's mm-hmm. out of Buffalo Trace. That 10-year is probably for me more than the pappies like that is probably the number one like sweet spot of those kind of weeders from buffalo trace like that 10 year old rip it does i mean it's just spectacular mm-hmm. and like i'll still drink my bourbon with like ice if i want sure people get really upset oh, with fuck. Me. i used to be one of those people <laughs> and then i realized it was so stupid it's like i started to like I, i've started to like bourbon with like just a big ice cube sure. um, but i still drink scotch neat but like I, what I have come to discover over time and like you drink it to however, however it makes you happy right like I agree I agree and some nights all you want is like and you and sometimes you don't want it at full strength and sometimes you want something a little more refreshing and so like during COVID put, the whole time you wanted it at full strength though full strength full <laughs> over like you need that like full, right out of the cast just put the barrel in your do not dilute. it was it was yeah yeah but like I mean I think and especially with like moving on to Glenfiddich um, mm-hmm. you know I feel like um, you know, there's uh, there's even more room to play around with whiskey a little bit. Um, and single malts have sort of historically been, you know, thought of as this kind of stodgy thing where it's, you're not allowed to do anything to it. And there's a whole series in Glenfiddich called the Experimental Series. And it's mm. because you want to have fun, like play with your whiskey, unlearn what you think you know about whiskey, throw this in a highball, put it in old fashioned. I know people get upset about scotch cocktails sometimes, but you know, there, some of them are designed for it and they come out so beautiful. Like it's almost like if you're doing like, um, like having a beautiful meal, like if you have beautiful ingredients, you're going to have a beautiful meal. And if you want a beautiful cocktail, then use a beautiful whiskey. Like Mm. it's, uh, I, I don't see anything wrong with that, but I mean, that's just- yeah. Talk to me a little bit about those new Glenfiddichs because I think they're pretty cool as well. And yeah. maybe start by uh, explaining to us like why do you think they started doing this? Like a, a, a distillery that old that's been doing like like you said, like the stodgy aged whiskey single malt for so long, all delicious, yeah, of course. But like, for sure. what like what what do you think prompted them to pivot into this direction? Was there is it something in the market, or are they just bored to like? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, it's a great idea. And like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that I knew like exactly what the marketers and the distillery managers and everyone was thinking. But I think in my own sort of gut and being a whiskey lover mm-hmm. that came into the whiskey world, like just from a place of being a fan, um, it feels like there was a bit of a gap and there was a whole bunch of people who were potentially being missed because maybe they didn't feel like they were comfortable approaching the space. And part of the reason I started the whiskey club in general is because I was almost too nervous to go to a whiskey tasting because I, there's all these unwritten rules. Like you don't, you know, put ice or you don't do this, you don't do that. And, and so it's intimidating to come in from the outside and just be in this, you know, in group that like looks a very particular way. And I don't look like exactly like everyone else. And so I sort of was just like, well, just do the whiskey club on your own. Um, And so there was this sort of probably this gap where we could be speaking to a whole new generation of whiskey lovers and let's have fun with it. It doesn't have to be intimidating. It can be something that we can play with a little bit. Like, you know, there's a huge popularity with, you know, IPA beers and, and beer clubs and, and all, and, you know, craft breweries that are doing all sorts of cool stuff. So Glenn Fittick said like, Hey, let's do an IPA cask finish. Like let's talk to the 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 legions of beer drinkers out there that you know wouldn't mind transitioning or you know trying something new and different so i think that feels to me like the most authentic way to look at it is it was just like let's talk to more people and give them more options and i also think that the scotch whiskey industry has kind of loosened up a little bit as well like in terms of what kind of casks they're allowing you to finish your whiskey in now they're sort of opening it up a little bit and i think that distilleries are taking advantage of that and saying like hey we could do some really cool stuff here Mm -hmm. we do we can we can have our our 12 and our our 14 and our 15 and our classics but like let's have a little fun over over here and you're you know you've got these beautiful distilleries that are well established and they have the ability to experiment they because you know because they've got their own labs and because you know they have the you know the room and the space and the knowledge and the people that they can you know kind of take a couple little risks and see if something works or you know and if it doesn't it's not going to kind of bankrupt the whole operation so Mm -hmm. we've we've made sure to sort of like keep up with the times and like let's just do something new and cool and fun and put your whiskey in a cocktail and like let's just go for it and Mm -hmm. yeah and if you don't want it then don't drink it we still have the classics here still yep you can still they haven't changed they're still here you do whatever you want so i think it's more about the options so what are the new ones they have that, like you mentioned, you already mentioned the IPA one. There's the Fire mm. and Cane, which is in yes. rum cask, right? That rum cask, little peated whiskey, little yeah. Speyside peat and rum so cask. Good. And so, and so good. different than what you expect from Glenfiddich because, like you said, it's peatier and it's... Exactly. But, but it also has a sweet finish to the rum cask yep. finish on it. It's yep, yep, absolutely. And and Belveni also did a peated... Well, we also do a peated whiskey the week of peat. And it's nice to have like a peated whiskey that kind of falls into a category that maybe someone who isn't so experienced with peated whiskeys can get into because it's quite it's quite soft on the peat sort of scale. Right. So it's, it's not, not, not it's not like fucking Lagavulin or it's yeah, or, it's, yeah, it's exactly. And like whereas like because like that's actually my pet. Like I really do love big peaty whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Like I you know I will crack open like an Octomore. Like I I do enjoy like oh, big pe- yeah. Ooh, so I do. That's a yes, big boy. It is. It is. And I it and I do like enjoy it. Sounds like a James it, Bond but... villain. Of yeah, yeah. It is. It's the James Bond villain of Scotch. Actually, I love peated Scotch too, and that is board. That's on the borderline of like. Well, for me, I like. I tend to like it when I'm in the mood for it. That's what sure. I find. Like so, and when yeah. and when I'm in the mood for it, even Octomore is almost too much. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I, and again, it's options, right? You have the, like the experimental. So you've got a rum cask with a peated sort of like a sweet peat kind of thing. Uh, You have project 20, which was actually, they let all the brand ambassadors for Glenfiddich loose in one of the warehouses and everyone got to choose a cask and they made like a a whiskey based on that sort of marriage that all the, the brand ambassadors. Now that was before my time. So I am not in that expression. And then they had winter storm, which Beth Haber is, one of your previous guests had a hand in suggesting so it's actually finished in ice wine casks which is right. a very yeah, canadian so you got the, yeah, yeah exactly so i mean it's all about again like having fun 
um, doing something a little bit different, being experimental with whiskey and not being afraid to, you know, change it up a little bit. And this is a good thing because like we were talking about earlier, this is not something that was common in the single malt scotch world. Like, it, like in Canada with whiskey, we're like, this is like a fucking mad scientist lab here at all times, right? But it's like, which is is can be good or bad. For sure. And we talked about that with Beth as well. But like sometimes that turns into something really great. I feel like majority of the time, not so much. But it's good that like, I think it is good like to open this stuff up a little bit, relax a little bit of like, yeah. the, of like this is what constitutes scotch or, or single malt whiskey in general, right? Sure. Uh, and then, and being like, no, well, we can do all of this stuff. I mean, they've been aging in different casks forever. So what's the, why can't it be a beer cask? Exactly. And I think that has opened up more recently. So now the rules are that um, you can finish it in, in a cast that has been used to age something in a traditional manner. So that that language in within the sort of law of Scotch whiskey really changed the game. So now you can use tequila casks. You can use all sorts of mm. sort of casts of like maybe uh, that aren't just sherry uh, and port. Um, now we're looking at like so many options like there's, and some of them don't go so great. Like I honestly, like I feel like we're just sort of starting the process of figuring out which ones like work really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the Caribbean cast is such a great, like that was probably one of the very first sort of out of the box kind of thinking in terms of like, well, what can we use? Like that came out, gosh. 20 something years ago and it, so it is just a great example of like well what else is there like how can we add a little bit of complexity and flavor while still staying within the traditions of single malt scotch so right. but always fun to play with like that rum that craving cask honestly it's I cannot I cannot say enough good things about it. I, I think I can't agree more. Yeah, it's, I, um, it's, yeah. it's out of this world like, <laughs> but also like I don't think I've had any expressions of the balvany that I didn't think were unbelievable. Yeah. Also, since we're talking to you mostly about Glenfiddich, we should, yeah. should we be remiss to not like make a mention of the 15 in the sherry cast. It's <laughs> fucking unbelievable. That one is like across the board, probably within the ambassadors. That is the one we will always go for. Mm. Like that. Yeah, that it's is like candy. That is the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so again, good. it is kind of a, it's a bit of a sleeper in terms of, you know, I, I wish more people sort of knew about it because it is just such a spectacular expression. Like mm -hmm. it's yeah. just, yeah, it's gorgeous. And the price point is great on it. And it really just, is considering it's just right? on the shelf. Yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> and all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like for that, for that, that's definitely like for price point and what you're getting out of it, like that's that's a must buy. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's like that's kind of the one for me. Like if people are looking for like a gifting kind of single malt, I always kind of push them to that Glenfiddich 15 because who's it's not gonna like it? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's yeah, that is a hundred percent it. Who is yeah. that? Like it is so approachable. Even if someone you know isn't super duper into whiskey, they they would get that and they would probably be able to sip on it and be like, oh, I get it. Like this mm -hmm. is really lovely. There's no rough edges. It's just such a spectacular expression. Yeah, that 15 is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're inching up on gift giving season again. So it's I, I got, I got to say, yeah, I agree. If like, if you, if you don't know what to get your scotch loving friends, yeah. Dan, mm -hmm. if you don't know what yeah. to get me. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping some big old hints today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, when you're going out to do a tasting of all, well, I have a few questions about this actually, because, okay, yeah. let's talk first about like how <laughs> your job has changed since the pandemic hit, because like, your, your, your job is basically a very face-to-face, -face, getting people to try whiskey, doing private tastings with them, whatever. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how it's changed, and then also talk to me about how you approach a tasting and how you set it up. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it, my whole, like 75% of my like time was basically traveling mm -hmm. before the pandemic hit. So lots of airplane time because we know Canada is big and just kind of like retail training. So, you know, liquor store, anyone that sort of is on the floor at a liquor store, talking to bartenders, bar managers, 
um, doing any kind of training on that end. And then also doing like the whiskey tastings and, and through masterclasses at whiskey shows and um, internally training our own sales team, uh, making sure that everyone knows all the expressions and what's going on. So it's a lot of training. It's a lot of like talking. It's a lot of um, being on and, and running around and long days and kind of like this really lovely, like, like I kind of always felt like a bit like Santa Claus. Like people were always really happy to see me because I had like a backpack full of whiskey and like I was just there for like, just to like enjoy. Like I was the fun part, you know, yeah. like, yeah. um, so that kind of shifted in terms, well, definitely with the travel, no more travel. Um, there's been a lot of me looking at myself on a Zoom call, um, <laughs> trying to gauge how it's going with, a, with everyone being on mute. Like it's a very different kind of thing. So when you're face to face with people, you set them up with this lovely tasting, you have a tasting mat. Well, even that, like, is that a thing now? Like, I don't know, are we sending tasting mats with our virtual kits or are we saving paper and we just send it online? Like everything has like shifted just a little bit to trying to figure out how to make it a really nice experience and sort of really represent the brand while also not being in a room with everyone together. So, right. you know, in the before times, it was very easy to kind of make a, a moment with people and to kind of bring them into the world. And now it's a little bit different. Um, I've made a lot of tasting kits to like mail out to people all across Canada. There's been a lot more learning on the brand end for me as well. Like I feel like I've learned a lot more about how it works because I've kind of been a, pulled into a little bit of the marketing piece. Like I'm, I am part of the marketing team. So I've sort of learned a lot more about brand management with this sort of pandemic going on because I've kind of just been there. Like booze is selling quite well. Um, and it has in Canada through the pandemic. And so I've been able to support my superiors uh, by sort of jumping in and giving them a hand wherever that was needed. So that's been a really interesting development for me, something that I probably wouldn't have had the chance to do had I been on the road. But I am sort of keen to get back in front of people safely. I am kind of sick of staring at myself like <laughs> in... <laughs> in zoom and like you never know like usually like you sort of or like take the temperature of a room that you're in yeah. and you kind of like get the vibes like are these people in a hurry are they not in a hurry are they new to whiskey are they you know like old hat are we mm -hmm. looking at you know uh, a room of people who had just been at the bar for two hours or are we coming in a little bit quieter like how so that is out the window. There is mm. absolutely no way to figure this out with Zoom. Like you just kind of have to like go. Just go. I know. Yeah. Go. So I agree because I've done a, uh, when the pandemic first hit, I was, I used to do like whiskey tastings, wine tastings, cocktail classes, all that stuff. And when the, when it first hit, I did a couple over Zoom for multiple people that you can't see. And it's like, it's, yeah, I, I didn't like it. Like, I, I lost it for me because, like, you don't... The whole thing is, the like, the intermingling, right? And uh, if you're just... It, it comes across more as, like, a speech, like, when you, that you had to give when you were in grade 8 or something like that, you know? Where it's just, yeah. like, everyone's staring at me and I just got to be talking the whole time, you yes. know? Like, I, yes. I did not enjoy you really... The interaction is the whole thing. Yeah. And you do have to like laugh at your own joke. <laughs> it's a very, like, it's a very different performance. Like, and actually my uh, very good friend who's the global brand ambassador for the Balveni actually set up like a zoom training with some actors and, and have oh, really? them come on. Yeah. And they kind of like really set us up for success. So we were able to sort of like practice a little bit on how to like best, show up on zoom like what like even what like, were some of the tips what were the so just even where like the camera placement is and even how to like not feel like you are um like your your camera placement is great if there was just one of you like it's kind of like this box right here that mm. like you sort of fill up the space but you're not like it's right. not so you kind of <laughs> and you have the room to like be a bit natural yeah. um but the best piece of advice that like came from that that I took away that might help if you you know still hate zoom and presenting on zoom is just pretend that you are talking to your very best like audience member like what does that person look like who are they and and see if you can find them like see I like and usually like I can spot somebody that's really engaged on the screen mm -hmm. and I'll pin their 
their like their screen so I can see them uh, and then I'll kind of just present to them because they seem they're nodding at me or they're smiling a lot or I can see that they're enjoying it and I kind of just try to let the rest fall away and you just sort of find your ideal audience member and and that's kind of you know just go with it that way it's never going to be like it was it's never going to be like in person but at least it helps a little bit when you can find that person so like during my like own meetings at like at PMA I'm always like trying to like like nod like whoever's presenting I'm like maybe they'll like feel better about it and like I don't know I got into this thing like over the pandemic which is like this weird wave I do now like i like now at the end of a Zoom call, like I'm a waver. Like I'm like, bye. Like I never <laughs> waved before in my life. And like I always say, like, Jamie, don't do the wave today. And like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, there it comes bye. Uh, like, so it's the Queen it's of England. A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to seeing that at the end of this conversation. Much better than yeah, much better than flipping the bird to us. Yeah. So, so much better. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. No. We've uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny. Uh, like for the Doing that sort of stuff, the Zoom thing is so awkward. But but in a weird way, we I, like I I don't want to speak for you, Dan. Although I do every week. Um, the, <laughs> I, I, uh, like, don't you find that um, it's almost like you've we've just gotten in the flow with the whole Zoom thing with our guests now? Like, it just this feels natural. Yeah. And then we like we've done a couple local ones since things have opened up a little bit where we had someone come over and actually do it live again and it that one felt almost weird to me yeah like because i'm just so used to this now yeah i think there's going to be a lot of adjustments and i think it's going to be like we're all going to be on our toes for like the next little while like we don't know what anything really looks like at this point and i think that's interesting and terrifying at the same time Mm -hmm. you know thinking about getting back into whiskey shows and like what that means and what those are going to look like and how they're going to be organized and how you know the that was you know part of the whiskey community and such an it's and it's funny it's in Canada it seems that it's more integral to our community than in other places and and I've talked about this with other ambassadors Canada really embraces their whiskey shows people travel for them there's major shows in like each major city and people really make an effort to be there. And I think that community piece is what has really been hard for like whiskey lovers over the last year. And oh gosh, almost, I'm not going to say. Don't years, even, like, don't you know, even. It's like 18 months, 19 months, whatever. Um, yeah, I know it's terrifying, but like, I think that's a piece that like whiskey people love to gather and love to have like big chats and and exchange sample bottles and you know we're we're often in the same hotel like you know where the where the whole thing is and like you know people poke their heads into your master class and say hi and like there's this really lovely world around it that we've been sort of you know popped out of and um, I'll be very curious to see like how it comes back and in what capacity and, you know, I don't think it's going to, at least not this year, come back like it did. But I'll be curious, like, you know, I think anyone's kind of looking for a really great excuse to get together safely and drink some whiskey and talk. And I can only imagine the vibes will be immaculate when that happens. Yeah, I think that's the good thing that's going to come out of it. Everybody's going to be so pleased to be able to do it again. Like, I've even noticed since we've opened the bars again, so many less assholes uh, oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah that's like, really good to hear. I, mean, I was there, worried it was the opposite. There's still some for sure, okay. uh, but like I just feel like more most people are just grateful to be out again, and that's that's been a nice thing. Okay, so yeah. tell me how you structure. Like, what's the best way? And you don't have to. You well, it's up to you. Choose to do it specifically about Glenfiddich, or choose to do it about all the other whiskey you've t- uh, run tastings for before. What's the best way to structure a whiskey tasting? Hmm. That's really good. So, I mean, if you're doing a whiskey tasting at home, you should always go sort of lightest in terms of ABV um, to heaviest. So don't put anything super high in ABV at the beginning of your whiskey tasting. You'll blow your palate. Right. You don't want to bring Um, your palate out. Yeah. Yeah, No, exactly. And so I would say like, you know, just go with your ABV lowest to highest um, and then anything with peat. Put it at the end, mm-hmm. put it, at, even if it's <laughs> yeah. light peat, probably, you know, and, and some people get really like, you know, with 
with uh, like doing a glenfiddich tasting, there's like a beautiful 21 year old rum cask, and then there's like fire and cane. And you know, everyone always wants to end on the last age statement, like the you know, like they want the the, the oldest, oldest one to be one, the last yeah. one, but that uh-huh. isn't always necessarily the way to do it because you want to be able to taste that 21. But if you're gonna have a peaty whiskey. I don't care what age statement it is, like put it at the end right. or else you're not going to be able to fully appreciate that, that 21 year or that 25 year. Like um, some of them can be quite delicate. So mm-hmm. Pete at the end, Pete at the right. end. Yeah. Oh, so that, that reminded me about something I wanted to ask you about earlier. That, so we'll just backtrack a little bit, but the, yeah. well, we were talking about like the Balvenny and some, I can't remember the other one you said, offering a peated uh, uh, expression. So the, Pete generally comes from the area the uh, where your distillery is at, right? So what where do they get their peat from? Like if they're yes. not, it's so it's actually in Speyside. So they're sourcing it locally from hmm. the, the Speyside area, which means the like it's not going to have that kind of um, the heaviness that the like the characteristic of the Isla peat. So it's just a little bit lighter and brighter and more sort of heathery. Um, so it doesn't have that sort of like that really deep richness. Like it's more like just like that, like white smoke that comes off a campfire after you douse it. Like uh, it's kind of just like a really lovely. So both Glenfiddich and Balvenny have peated expressions. Um, and they are both quite low in, in, um, PPM, which is like the scale that you use to measure your, your, um, sort of peatiness. So it's phenols parts per million and like a Lagavulin or Lefroig would probably be around 35, 45. Um, and ours is about five PPM in the now bottle. Is, so. is that information that they would provide on the label for? Uh, Some do like an Octomore would because it's the whole point of it is to be yeah. like in your face. So they'll yeah. give you like, they're like 225 PPM. Yeah. Cool. I don't think I don't like Belveni doesn't put uh, the PPM on the bottle, but it's kind of easy enough to figure out. Like if you Google it, it's on enough oh, okay. places or you just ask the brand ambassador and we'll tell you. Right. Um, but, <laughs> what you're fucking here for. That's right. That's what I'm here for. So, yeah. So it is one of those things like you sort of can just though that information is pretty it's not closely guarded at all. It's a very sort of public thing that people talk about a lot. Some distilleries measure their PPM. I guess this is the only like red flag about that is some distilleries measure their PPM on the barley, which will be higher than in the bottle. So that's another thing. Just like, just say like, is that in the bottle? If you're asking about PPM, because you could get a slightly different scale if they're measuring their PPM directly from the barley, as opposed to after it's been distilled and brought down to whatever ABV they've decided. So, yeah. yeah. I just There's your something. tip for the day. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. I just, I just yeah. heard my spot on the that's show, a, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> Teaching lessons. Still, still working. <laughs> Always. I mean, I work in whiskey. It doesn't ever really feel like work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny that we've... Um, We've, we have had a chance to talk to a bunch of different ambassadors on the show and everybody sort of feels the same way. Because I guess like that is you, you're not going to get into a job like this unless you already love it. Like nobody gets into a job of being a whiskey ambassador if they like rum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it is as it and I have said it is literally the best job you could ever have in the entire world. But it is a lot of being away from home during a normal year. It is a lot of, you know, giving like being on and yeah. being like engaged for a very long period of time. Um, and so it is it does have like these moments of like like that, like I need to go into like a closet and just not talk for like, you get really sick of the sound of your own voice sometimes because you've just been doing nothing but talk to people all day. And so it, for me, how has that affected, sorry, I didn't interrupt, but how how does that affect you in your personal life? Like, because you have to, like, you're already gone all the time. Right. And then when you come home and you probably just want to shut down, completely shut down. And like, I think that's something that, with the pandemic, it feels to me like maybe there there might be a shift now that we have the technology and capability of you know zooming in places. And I think you know maybe the 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 thought of like work life balance had always kind of been a bit silly in my previous like in brand ambassador life before the pandemic. And now it seems like it might be something that is worth working towards because. Mm-hmm it isn't great to come home after a trip and just 
completely crash. It's yeah. probably not good for your body. It's probably not good for your, you know, psyche. It's not good for your friendships and relationships. It is, it, you can get into that cycle of like, go, go, go completely crash. Then you got to go again, crash again. So I think that this pandemic, if there's any sort of, you know, positives, I think it's taken, uh, you know, me like some time to just take a step back, be at home, get some, like, get, get grounded and, and renegotiate how to manage my time better Mm -hmm. um, and how to reprioritize things and that it's okay to be home sometimes. And it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to zoom into that meeting instead of, flying or, you know, because we're not going to go back to what we were. I just don't think that's, it's no. So I think that, I think it's, it, it it is a good thing to, because, you know, like, and I think we all do this is that like, you get to that point where you, you go and then you get used to this particular level of going. And then when it starts creeping up and up, it's almost like you haven't, you, you get to the, you're like, how did I end up like doing this? Like, how did I end up here? I'm going like crazy. And then you're like, it just happened in small increments and you just mm-hmm. get used to it. And then it goes up and you get used to it and your baseline starts to like creep up. And then all of a sudden you crash and you burn and you wonder why. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. And I, and I do agree with you that the pandemic has brought that out a lot. And it's all over. And we've been talking to lots of people on the show as well, where it's like, the, it's really brought to the forefront, like, what we do, what we all do for a living in this, in the service industry and like service industry related jobs is like not normal. (laughs) And and we love it. So we continue to do it, but like Mm -hmm. the stress it puts on you mentally and physically and, and like what we, what what we consider normal is not normal for like the drivers nine to fiver. Right. And, and I think that maybe there will probably end up being a bunch of changes in the industry because of that. Yeah. Like uh, us realizing it's like, oh, shit, we just got like, we're all sitting at home bitching about how we can't work. But it's like, oh, that was kind of a nice break, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that there's a it's a really interesting like place and time that we're in right now. And I think the easy part was that sort of first part where everything shut down. And mm. it was like, OK, there is no questions asked. You just got to go home and you got to yeah. stay there. And that's it. This this part I think is the tricky part and it yeah. felt more tricky to me, like trying to figure out like, okay, if I want to get on a plane, which places can I go to and which can't I go to? If I get somewhere, is are things going to shut down? Are retail stores even allowing people like me to come yeah. in right and now? And everybody's are, got different rules, right? Exactly, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and everybody has different comfort levels too. Mm-hmm. And so you are sort of working with not just you know, you, you, you want to be cognizant of all the rules that are out there for sure. But you also, there's people who aren't able to get their kids vaccinated or whatever. So you have to be mindful of a completely different set of kind of unspoken rules. So Mm -hmm. I think this will be a really big learning curve for all of us going back, trying to get back into the world and and how that's going to look. And especially for people like us who spend a lot of time around lots of people and Mm -hmm. people who have been drinking, (laughs) which that's a whole nother, like, it's just, you know, everyone gets a bit boisterous and, and, and excited. And, and then you're just kind of like, okay, this is a, this is another level of how do we manage this piece too. Mm -hmm. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting for sure. It is going to be interesting. And this conversation was super interesting, Jamie. We really appreciate you joining us. That well, was super fun and me. very That's informative. I learned, I learned some shit today, so that was great. <laughs> that is I, what I'm here for. <laughs> Can you tell my mom that you learned something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just email me her details. I'll call yes, her tomorrow. 100%. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Jamie Johnson is the Canadian ambassador for Glenn Fittick, which is pretty impressive. And so thanks for doing this and being Thank on the you. show. Yeah, if if anyone wants to check you out on uh, Instagram or whatnot, what is... uh, Oh, on the Instagram, I'm actually Bourbon Thing, at Bourbon Thing. Oh, she hasn't updated it. I kept (laughs) it. Once you get the followers, though, what are you going to do, right? Well, you know what? It's me, right? That was my... I I got my little handle, and I kept it. So, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Thanks again, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you very much.